Hey guys, welcome back to episode 71 of the All Things Strength and Wellness podcast. I'm your host once again, Robbie Burke, and we are brought to you by upmentorship.com, one of the top strength and conditioning resources available online today. To get instant access to almost 20 hours of world-class online video strength and conditioning information, go to upmentorship.com and help support the show. This episode's guest is strength and conditioning coach Greg Robbins from Cressy Sports Performance and The Strength House. On this episode, Greg and I discussed many topics, including, of course, Greg's background and influences, Greg's take on problems he sees within the strength and conditioning profession, Greg's training philosophy. We discussed Greg's ebook that he co authored with Eric Cressy called The Specialization Success Guide, which is a book geared towards powerlifters or individuals looking to increase their total. We also discussed the biggest things Greg has learned in his career so far, as well as advice and resources to everybody listening. This was a really great show, guys, and I hope you really enjoy it. Okay, Mr. Greg Robbins, it's a, an absolute pleasure to have you on the podcast. Just for the listeners who may not be too familiar with who you are, just fill us in on your background. Thanks for having me, Robbie. Yeah, um, I'm a strength and conditioning coach. Uh or preparation coach over at Cressy Sports Performance in Hudson, Massachusetts. Um, I've been there for three years now. Um, I've spent about, I guess, just around eight years in the field doing this stuff. Uh, before my time at, at CSP, I was working at Total Performance Sports in Everett, Massachusetts, which is a, a little bit more of a powerlifting strongman-type place. And before that, I uh, did some athletic training with Northeastern, worked as a commercial gym personal trainer, and uh, that, that's my, my professional background. Um, I've also, you know, drawn a lot from my time spent as a, a collegiate baseball player, as well as time in uh, the military, uh, all kind of just formulate who I am today, I guess you could say. Well, you were in the military, and I never knew that about you. Yeah, uh, just I, I didn't go, I was not an active military. I, I did uh, five years in the Army National Guard. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and would you say there was things, you you know, that you, you learned from those five years that, you know, that have kind of carried over into your life to, to even up today? Oh, yeah, uh, immensely. Um, I enlisted as an officer candidate so I had to go to uh, to basic training and then to officer candidate school and I think um, you know a large part of what we do as uh, preparation coaches is act as role models and leaders uh, for our clients and for our athletes and and I draw most of the leadership experience uh, from from that time so I think that was probably the most educational thing that I ever did was uh, officer candidate school and some of the smaller schools that come off of that in the military. Mm. What what got you into uh, you know strength and conditioning or, or physical preparation? Were you like do you have the typical background in that you know you were a young kid and teenager started lifting weights and kind of got into it or was it to help you improve as a baseball player? So how, how did you fall into the whole field? <laughs> I guess you could say uh, it was it, it probably started in high school where we pretended like we were lifting weights to get better at baseball, but we probably just wanted to, to uh, attract more female attention. Yeah, yeah. And uh, to be honest, it was a friend of mine would just drag me to the gym with him. And uh, in, when I was younger, when I was maybe you know, 16, 17 years old, I really wanted nothing to do with it. 
I was, I was out of shape. I just happened to be a good baseball player. Um, and I transitioned to my freshman year of college, and that's that's where I got there and realized that the skills alone weren't gonna weren't gonna get me any playing time. So um, I started taking it a little bit more seriously, um, just kind of using what what my friend had showed me. I I even did a uh, I did a couple months at Mike Boyle Strength and Conditioning when I was in high school. So I drew some stuff from what I learned there, and. And that's when I really started to see improvements in my performance and physique when I actually wanted it to happen. Um, and, I, and I guess I just kind of fell in love with it at that point. Did you, from from that, did you go to college? Did you do like exercise science or? Uh, actually, I, I was uh, an English major. Wow. And, yeah. Well, I mean, Chad, 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 Chad Wesley Smith's a history major, so. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I mean, uh, to to go even further, I, to be honest, uh, I left college early to pursue baseball, and instead of going back, I went the military route. So mm. uh, I don't I don't even possess a uh, a bachelor's degree at this point. Well, you're talking to someone who's in the same club. I'm the exact same, even though <laughs> I'm possibly going to go back because I'd I'd like to do a, maybe a master's in in Springfield for the you know strength conditioning master's. So. I'm uh, con- okay. I'm contemplating going back to get my undergrad here in Ireland, so we'll see how that goes. In in terms of your influences, obviously Eric Cressy is a massive influence. But if I was to pose the question to you, who has been the biggest influence on you, both as a coach and then as a person? You know, what would your answer be to that? Hmm. Um. Yeah, I think you know, as a as a coach, my biggest influences have have probably been um, both. You know, Eric obviously has taught me a lot, um, and so did and so did to Murph when I was at Total Performance Sports. Uh, definitely, like two guys that are on opposite ends of the spectrum in, in many ways. Mm. Um, but but that's kind of one thing that I take pride in is having exposed myself to a lot of different uh, styles of training and, and training philosophies, and you know accepting what is useful, rejecting what is not, as they say, and, and formulating my own training philosophies. Um, I, uh, it's tough to, to point out you know, individuals and say that those people have been uh, the most profound impact on, on me as a coach. I think I've drawn something from everywhere. Um, you know, guys that, that I like to read or you know, and follow and learn from Aside from from Eric and Murph, are, are probably um, you know Chad Smith turned me on to, to reading a lot more from from James Smith, um, and that's somebody who whose work I've looked into and read a lot. Um, I'd say I, I drew a lot of a lot of information from in my early days from reading you know Mike Boyle's stuff. I think a lot of people got their start there because yeah, he's yeah. one of the few guys putting out the information. Yeah. Uh, as a as a person, um, you know, I I have two parents that are still together to this day that, that have been huge role models for me. And you know, I when people ask like who you, who your heroes are, if you want, you know, I'm always quick to to turn to my parents because. They've always supported me and, and shown me, um, you know, what, what a 
question is. Uh, and then uh, I've had uh, baseball coaches, one in particular, my high school baseball coach, who was a huge role model in my life, uh, set a lot of strong examples for me as a person. And I guess the, the last person I would say who was molding me as a person were the, uh, the different cadre that I met in my time at the uh, in officer candidate school in the military. Great answer. If I was to pose the question to you, uh, Greg, what do you think are the biggest problems you see within the fitness industry at large? What would your answer be to that? <laughs> um, and you can you can go to town on this. You can take like 10, 15 minutes or as long as you want. Well, like the, the first thing that always comes to mind is that, uh, you know, that, that kind of ticks me off about the fitness industry is, I guess, two things. I'll, I'll start with, I don't like all the clicks in the fitness industry. Um, you know, there's, there's, there's definitely these well-defined sort of clicks of people. Um, and I, I wish we, you know, could all see the fact that we're just, we're supposed to be here trying to help other people and spread knowledge and just make everybody better. And instead we get clicks and start bashing other fitness professionals or calling them out saying this person's right or this person's wrong. And, you know, I try, I try to be somebody that doesn't associate myself with one group of, of the fitness clique. Um, you know, that aside from that, it would be, it would be this kind of misinformation that we give people all the time. And it's not necessarily misinformation, it's just getting carried away with really small things and making them sound like a big deal. Yeah, yeah, uh, definitely. It's funny, I, I, was, I was talking to a friend about that. It was actually Kevin Carr. He was over doing the Mike Boyle shirt and we were talking about, you know, the, the, the big debate about the knees out cue that people were having, you know, like the whole Kelly Starrett versus, you know, sort of the Quinn Hennock or the Juggernaut guys and, like, you know, pushing their knees out. And we were all, myself and Kev at the end of the conversation, well, you know, there's kids, like, dying in Africa right now, so I think we can just move on with things. it's not even uh, isolated to the fitness industry you know this idea of you know having a clique or a group to associate with I mean that's a that's a, a cultural thing a, 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 like a human society thing I mean you could put that to anything I mean like religion being the most obvious one like you know our clique is right and every other clique is wrong so <laughs> it's the same everywhere like so it's not just limited to the fitness industry but I completely agree with you you know people are always just kind of trying to be controversial or put things out there I suppose it's it's at a subconscious level it's you know trying to find a bit of meaning or whatever it is that people need to do but Paul Check is a famous saying he's like when you when you find your your true meaning in life you don't need to create a crisis you know so people people are always trying to put stuff out there to be controversial and you know create you know these sort of arguments and it's kind of like just to give them that sort of brief 5 to 10 seconds that their life is actually worth living so right. 
yeah so um yeah but definitely no i agree with that and i'd like to think i'm like yourself you know that i'm it's funny, I heard Brian Walsh, I used to all say open-minded, but Brian Walsh said to me, you don't want to be open-minded or closed-minded, you want to be critically minded, so, you know, I, I like to think that I'm critically minded and I'm accepting to all ideas, so. Yeah, yeah. You, it, that, you know, so that's something that, you know, one thing we do at, at, at CSP is obviously host a very popular internship program. Yeah. And, um, and it's, it's something that I've been fortunate enough to, to you know, be a big part of I feel like in that in that mentoring process and, and that's the one of the you know the biggest lessons that I'm always trying to, to give to, to the to the interns that come in is that you just have to have that that growth mindset instead of a fixed mindset yeah yeah it's funny I, I have this I have like an oxymoron saying and it's kind of like my only dogmatic belief is not to be dogmatic <laughs> So, so yeah, I always got to just throw that one out there and get that kind of puppy dog look. What? Oh, yeah. But uh, we'll move on with the questions anyway. So obviously, like, you know, you're working at Cressy Sports Performance. And uh, as you said, Eric's been a huge influence. But um, I'm going to ask this question anyway. In terms of your training philosophy or the big principles that drive your thought process when it comes to the training process, what, what would your answer be? So essentially, what is your, your training philosophy, if you like? Uh, I mean, in a nutshell, I would say just simple things done very well. Yeah, I like that. Um, so, I, I get, again, I, you know, always try to keep the, the growth the growth mindset, but I, I get a, a lot more critical when I when I see things that, that just seem too far removed from, from the basics, that have too many bells and whistles, that, um, you know, just seem too complicated. So, there's, there's lots of awesome information that gets put out about really complex training practices and philosophies and, and, and methods, but in reality, most of the people that walk through the door, myself included, don't need them. We just, we're still in that phase where we need to master the basics. Um, so when someone comes through the door and I'm thinking about their training program, my philosophy is first to just really get to know who this person is, um, both on a, on a mental and a physical level, and then try to design a training program that meets them where they're at so that they can uh, execute that program as close to 100% as possible because I'd rather give them a very simple program that they can do 90% correctly and well and feel good about than, than give them this quote-unquote optimal program based on all this optimal stuff and, and have them, you know, 65% compliant and able to execute that program. So, um, I mean, that's, I guess, kind of a general answer, but that's what kind of fuels my thought process, I guess. Yeah, I actually had a conversation with, with, a, with a friend today. In, we were in the car driving over to the gym, and he was saying that... Um, he was reading a book and essentially he was just saying the difference between you know sort of novice or intermediates and the masters is the masters just do the basics brilliantly like that's it whereas kind of everyone below them is kind of searching for this magic this magic bullet or magic pill and the, you know the master like it's just the simple concepts done you know to per, as close to perfection as possible over and over again so I like what you said it's just you know you, even you said earlier on like squat bench uh, deadlifts, you know, lunges, basic movement patterns and, and energy and out balance. I mean, once it's the 
once you you know you get those basics down you can't go too wrong like i suppose we're just always in the society we're in we're just always you know bombarded by as we you know the internet and information and too much choice and we're kind of thinking you know will this will this be the new answer and when it comes to train anyway nothing has as you said changed in decades or even longer than that like what i say to kind of the, the students that i have or any kind of interns as well is like listen learn training principles and then that's all you're going to really need to weigh things against like it, the law of adaptation specificity progressive overload uh, accommodation variation reversibility recovery like if you learn those things like you'll be able to weigh any sort of argument or discussion against those you know so um but no definitely like what you said there yeah for sure and it and it, you know when it comes to even like coaches it's you know the, the thing that i well, biggest flaw from the way they're trying to learn i feel is um and just recently had a conversation with uh chad wesley smith about this you know was um you know people ask people ask general questions looking for specific answers um, you know they they want they want them they want you to tell them you know how many sets and reps of this given exercise am I supposed to do and in reality you know the, the good coaches out there when they're trying to teach you something they're teaching you philosophy they're teaching so that you can you know make an informed decision for yourself as far as you know how to structure a training program um, because there's no there's no way we, anyone could stand up in front of you and say you need to do you know, a high bar back squat for five sets of five at sixty-seven and a half percent, and that that that'll help you meet your goals. Or, you know, like yeah, 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 yeah. I know what you're saying. Yeah. If I was to ask you, uh, Greg, what have been the biggest sort of mistakes that you've learned from so far in your career? Like, what what would you say to that? Ah, uh, the biggest mistakes. Um, or the biggest things you've learned so far to to date. You know, it could be what your top three or top five or however many you want to name it. Um, I think from a uh, from a training standpoint, you know, one of the the biggest mistakes that that I used to make uh, was not not placing enough uh, importance on on the the idea of of building a base in my training, like a base of, of work capacity, so not understanding the value in, in training sub-maximally and, and taking things into account, like just total touch over time. And, and, you know, it's the same mistake that everybody makes, and I was guilty of making it too, is just, you know, testing strength too often instead of building it um, and just learning the importance of, of keeping track and managing, you know, as many variables as possible. You know, the, the more that the more variables that you have a, a hold on, and that you can look back on it, the, the more you can see improvements in training. And the, the less variables that you keep track of, then you look back, and the, really the only one you have to, to look at is how much weight you've put on the bar. Yeah. And so then that's the one you keep trying to change. So, mm. um, you know, I think it's a I think it's a mistake that I, that I fixed. A while ago, but it was still probably you know the single biggest mistake that I made, and I think everybody makes. And you just have to um, you have to understand what all the variables in training are, and, and make sure that you're keeping track of them. Um, I'd say, aside from that, um, another mistake in training would probably be from from the 
side of just training other people, it would be not taking an objective enough look at at the person that I was training and had placing too much bias on what I thought the correct training was and yeah, not looking yeah. you know, not looking at, at really like what, what what did they want out of their training. Um, and when you do that you know, you, you start to weed out a lot of stuff that you might find you're putting in there just because, you know, you like it and you think that that's the, the proper way that they should train and you think it's something that's interesting and should be done in their training when in reality, you know, some, this person is is looking for something far removed from that. Um, it makes the whole process easier. Yeah, like you, you said earlier on there, you know, about meeting people where they're at and we, I've spoken at length with other guests about that and you kind of project your own sort of wants and, and sort of beliefs and opinions on people and uh, also too like there's that concept of you think the client is getting bored but it's really you just getting bored and then you're starting to put stuff in there for no reason and again you're not meeting their needs then all of a sudden again kind of just reflecting what you want them to, to, to train like when really again you're not meeting them where they're at or giving them what they actually really need and want yeah and I think there's there's times uh, when I was a coach where there were certain things that I was good at eliciting, like uh, let's just say, like maximal strength. Like it was, I was good at making people stronger. But in reality, this you know, this person came in just because they wanted to lose body fat, mm. and, and I was doing them a disservice in many ways by continually like putting a program together that was great for you know building maximal strength. And just as an example, but um, you know, when you have a so you know, for a third mistake, I'd say. I don't know about a mistake, but just something that's evolved over time is just a, a way different assessment process that includes a lot more of getting, of just asking the right questions and getting to know who this person is, where they are in their development, what they're trying to do, um, and understanding their lifestyle and, and matching the training to that. Yeah, big time. You brought out a very, um, a very good uh, ebook with Eric, the Specialization Success Guide. Actually, I bought it and read it and found it, you know, an, an excellent resource. How did that come about? I, I know you've done a, you've done a bit of powerlifting. You've coached a few powerlifters. How did the the whole ebook come about with Eric? Uh, well, Eric was putting out the High Performance Handbook um, around the same time, and he just approached me and, and asked, you know, do you want to put something together as kind of a, almost like a, a bonus kind of like a, a an added product that someone could pick up that, that might be good for someone that is a little bit more interested in in training you know those big three classic power lifts mm. um, that could be like kind of a supplemental resource to something like the high performance handbook so um, yeah and I said sure so it was um, you know the idea in my mind was to design program based on improving maximal strength in, in those three lifts, but design, you know, three separate programs to put a little bit more focus on on one of those lifts, depending on where someone, you know, if they had one lift that was weaker than the others, uh, and, and blend together kind of, you know, a classic powerlifting approach with a lot of the things that we believe in at, uh, at, at CSP as well, uh, and, that, and that's kind of where that came about. Yeah, it it was a uh, interesting, you know, the the sort of the the sets and rep schemes. Like it was, it's a, it's a very sort of um, 
intensity focused program even though the volume i suppose overall on those main lifts is, is quite low but i like the way you set it up particularly like how you worked out the percentages for the lifts you know you were you know you took away that sort of a lot of what a lot of people do take away that five to ten percent and you know the main lift you're focused on you kept the intensity a little bit higher and dropped on the others but it, it was a really nice, well put together program it, like was was that kind of have you did you have like previous experience writing programs similar to that or was this kind of like the first time you wrote something similar had, had you actually put people through that exact program before or uh yeah so um the the structure of of the competition lifts you know just followed you know it's basically a pretty like linear periodization of just obviously starting at lower percentages and with higher volume and just tapering down um, and using supplementary lifts to build some extra volume and then consolidating, you know, all the different, all that different volume and, and, and starting to remove some of those supplementary lifts as you get closer, mm. closer to your maxes. Um, you know, in my head when I wrote the program, you know, that was, you know, the first time that I had put out an ebook like that. So, you know, one of the challenges is you sit down and you're like, well, who am I writing this program for? Yeah, yeah. Um, so, in my head, the person I was writing the program for was kind of the the lifter who has um, some experience, but but maybe doesn't quite know what they're capable of, doesn't quite push themselves uh, enough. I would say so. Yeah, on the on that main lift, if you know you're doing the squat program, it, the there's some challenges when you get towards the towards the uh, the last phase as far as uh, I think it gets pretty aggressive um, you know maybe too aggressive for someone that's a more advanced lifter mm. uh, because you know it's not that sub-maximal anymore um, and so you know I it, it had worked very well with a lot of the kind of amateurs you know lifters power lifters that that had come through our facility and that I had run them through um, just because they had not been exposed to percentage-based training before, so a lot of the choices they were making in the gym were left up to to them, and they weren't, I don't think, at that level yet where they were making the right choices. I don't think they were pushing themselves enough, um, and they were being a little bit timid, so that was kind of my mindset there was, you know, the percentages are going to force you to, 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 t to put more work in and, and to try to move some weights that, you know, normally people would just move for, you know, one or two reps and, and start to see those appear either over way more, uh, over more sets or possibly, you know, taking heavier weights for multiple reps. Yeah, like, in, in fairness, in the ebook, you, you did address that in terms of, you know, stronger uh lifters like they probably are going to have to drop that percentage even down more calculating their max like you had the beginners at two to five percent drop intermediate four six and the advanced you know five to eight or as much as nine percent you know so like you, in fairness you did touch on that in your book but it was because i was kind of designing a you know a, a part of the program myself in around that time that's actually why i bought your book and it was kind of similar to where i was at in terms of i was kind of going with an accumulation intensification realization and you know very specific with the lifts and very similar to them with the percentages in that i was kind of focusing in on like the weakest lift and going with about a five percent drop off and then ten percent so it was just very funny like how you know i looked at your book and i was like this is very very similar. like i felt like i felt like it had validated kind of what i was seeing too and kind of 
the more intermediate sort of strength level athletes like and i throw myself into that i wouldn't be near elite at all like but uh no i just I, and i really i just enjoyed it I like the way he laid it out and it, it, it had a sort of a chad wesley sort of essence to it too the way you kind of decrease training frequency in some of the programs you know to kind of consolidate that stress as, as you went on um a question though actually uh, i'm gonna ask you because you work you know you work with uh eric and you work at you know cressy sports performance with all the guys is that you know i know eric w- was very sort of influenced by you know west side barbell principles and you know probably no doubt still is and he used to rotate his main lifts an awful lot but now like with the sort of comeback of raw powerlifting and this idea that you want to be have more specificity and probably stick to the lifts and the fact that in your program you kind of have the same lifts as your main lift okay the assistance work may change has has that program sort of changed at Cressy Sports Performance now are, are they sticking a little more to just straight uh, you know sticking with an exercise more so for the, the duration of training rather than kind of switching it up every you know two to three or four weeks um, I'd say yes and no I think that um, I think one of the reasons it depends on the population. So one thing that we, we kind of stress with our athletic population is that variability is an important thing. Um, but we just want to kind of expose them to a lot of different um, different stressors and, and different exercise choices um, because, I mean, in, in one respect, because they most of these guys are baseball players, so... Mm what they do in their sport is just it's the same thing over and over and yeah, over again yeah, yeah. Um, so I think that they that there's a lot to be said for them just doing all these different kinds of movements yeah. and it just gives it gives their it makes their system a little bit more supple um, because they're exposed to to recruiting and timing things in all these different yeah, ways yeah. Um, and so I think I think that in that respect yeah we still we still change exercises quite a bit um, but I will say that we've definitely shifted more to um, leaving in a lift like a, like a trap bar deadlift or a, you know a safety squat a safety bar squat a little bit longer whereas you know we used to say well you're gonna for this four you know this four week program you're gonna trap bar deadlift and the next one you're gonna sumo deadlift and the one after that you're gonna um, do an RDL, and, and I've noticed, and, and, and hopefully it's something that I think that I brought to the table and influence was that we needed to spend a little bit more time letting our athletes get proficient at a lift mm. if they were if they were going to build any kind of considerable strength with yeah, it, because yeah. um, that was just something. I thought the variability was great. But I also thought, you know, we were covering our bases with the variability based on the fact that, you know, most of our programs run through about eight different exercises every day. So if one stays the same, I don't think it's going to take away from that that overriding goal of having a good amount of variability. So, yeah, I know, you know, I'll keep, even for our athletes, I'll, I'll keep a deadlift variation, like a, a trap bar deadlift or a sumo deadlift, you know, in a program for, you know, 12 weeks at a time and actually let them build up some considerable strength on it before I, I change it out yeah it's uh, similar like I, I kind of use the phrase you know variation without change so for me like very similar to yourself when I kind of have the more beginner like if we had a 12 or 16 week program with a beginner like their main lifts are pretty pretty much the same how I add the variety in is just like I'll change the execution so change up the rests and sets uh, you know you might uh, put a tempo in there you might slightly change 
I don't know, like it might be a slight change in grip, like so you might go from a regular bench to a close grip, it's not a massive change, but usually I actually keep the lifts actually the same throughout with beginners, well with beginners I keep the lifts the same throughout, and then I just more so manipulate other training variables like sets and reps and rest periods more so, and that's kind of how we get the variation, and it's funny, like I remember Chad Wesley Smith was saying like, you know, that's how you can add variety, like I think we kind of got influenced too by sort of bodybuilding, in that like in bodybuilding the main goal is just to destroy muscle, so they could go in and do a different program every single day as long as they're still destroying the muscle it doesn't really matter but when it kind of comes in maybe to more of a sports performance sort of physical preparation program and you want someone to actually learn the skill of a lift they need more exposure to it and i remember chad just saying you, know, you don't actually need to change the lift you can change the sets you can change the reps you can change the rest period you can change tempo you can put a pause in there you know so there's many ways to actually get variety into a lift without actually changing the lift so uh yeah, no, definitely agree with you, and and and, but I also agree with your point too with the baseball players in terms of you know their sports so repetitive that getting that variety through their general physical preparation is also a nice thing as well. So yeah, it's it's uh it's con- it's, con- know, it's context like at the end of the day, <laughs> right? It's, it's totally context because I I agree if someone's in there lifting weights to to get stronger, let's say they're a powerlifter, for example, that's their sport. It's their sport, give, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you can give them the variation through changing the loading parameters or um, slightly altering uh, the dynamics of the lift. But I think if someone's a team sport athlete, there's something to be said for, you know, uh, changing it even a, a little bit more from that and actually changing the exercise in in total just because... Yeah, yeah. You, you want you want from a motor control standpoint you want to kind of expose them to to a lot of different sort of uh, challenges that way yeah yeah like as in open up that foundation a little more like expose them to more stimulus yeah no 100% agree with that because again at the end of the day like if if you're not a powerlifter or limpy lifter like anything you do in the weight room is just GPP like so it doesn't matter what you're doing you know, well, sorry. That's that. If that if that's a soundbite, it's an awful soundbite. It's not. It's not that it doesn't matter what you're doing. It's just that if you're a team sport athlete, it doesn't matter if it's a front squad or a back squad or a trap bar. It's all just GPP at the end of the day to support your your sport. But uh, I get like I guess my answer would be if you're a beginner, I'll stick with the lift for as as long as I can milk it and just change other variables ex- rather than change exercise. So again, it's you know sets, reps, rest periods, etc. And then the more experience the sort of sports that he gets in the weight room, then I, you know, I'd have no issue with like variety, as you say, you know, trap bar four weeks, sumo four weeks, or you know, back squat, safety bar, safety bar squat, front squat, because they obviously have the experience in those lifts now and then. That variation is is actually a very positive thing in terms of adaptation and whatnot. Yeah, I agree completely. I think um, you know everyone's quick to use the the pyramid example, and the bottom is you know all this you know different variations, and then you get more specific. Um, you know, I, w- I would say when I look at an off season, it's more like a diamond where we we start a little bit more specific, sticking with the same lift yeah. longer, so that you build up from strength, and yeah. then we have more variety, you know, midway, and then it tapers back down to be more specific again before you go into your season. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I like that analogy of the diamond. That's uh, it's the first time I heard that, but I, I yeah, it's a good analogy to use to get your point across. I know, um, you know, Post Restoration Institute has made a huge impact in the kind of strength and conditioning industry, and it was probably Eric was one of the forefront, you know, coaches who kind of got it to everyone's recognition. How has PRI, you know, influenced uh, your thought process as a coach in terms of execution of certain exercises and just training as a whole? Uh, you know, it has and it, and it hasn't. I would say, um, you know, it's another one something that I would say is 
can sometimes be a little bit of a, a pet peeve of mine. Um, you know, PRI is a tool, mm. and it's also a tool that was not, you know, designed necessarily with strength and conditioning in mind. Yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> so, I think that some people just get a little bit too carried away with it. Um, I think it's a, I think the courses, the courses that I've attended have been amazing courses in, in biomechanics and, and understanding, um, you know, how the, how the body works and how it moves. Um, I think that the, the treatments and the interventions that, that PRI uh, puts out there are also great, but not necessarily as easily applicable to our setting, uh, you know, nor, nor should they need to be used in such a high capacity as some people do them. Mm. Uh, I think that the positional breathing stuff is great as a, a nice foundation to, to kind of give people like a reset and help them learn about their body and, and it definitely help educate athletes and clients on how to move proximal structures, like how to move their pelvis and how to move their rib cage and put things in a nice position. Um, but I don't think it's the end all to be all. And I think, it, you know, it, it makes up maybe, you know, five to 10% of, of a session for, for what we're going to do. Um, you know, the, the bread and butter is in the training, and if, if if there's some overriding reason why we can't get someone to the training portion, then then you know I'm more likely to try to refer out than than use um, a lot of PRI concepts to try to to try to fix somebody. You know that's that's not necessarily my job. Um, so I think it's it's affected us on this level where. We're, we understand the importance now of having variability in movement that, you know, people need to have the option to, to, uh, to flex and to rotate. And a lot of athletes come in and, and they're just stuck kind of stiff in extension. And so we've, we've put more thought into doing exercises that, that help guys get out of extension and don't just use, um, that extension-based strategy to do everything, um, because that's when they eventually get hurt. But uh, it's kind of like going down the rabbit hole. I feel just I just feel like it's I feel like it gets a little bit overused. But if you can if you can keep the principles of it in mind, and the principles to me are you know, have variability in your movement, learn how to shut off and get parasympathetic, and and, and not always um, do everything in such a high tension, high threshold strategy. Uh, if you can just kind of litter elements of that into your training, then it, it's hugely helpful. But uh, if you try to, you know, mold your whole program around there, that's not what it's designed to do, and that you'd be doing your athletes a disservice, I think. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. As you said, I think you, you know, you sums up perfectly. Start. It's, it's a tool in the toolbox, but um, it definitely has, <clears throat> you know, as of the last few years, it, it's definitely been a, a big talking point in the in the industry and in, in what it's teaching. Because I suppose. You know, when we first start coaching, everyone thinks that, you know, chest up and massive extension was good. And, you know, now we're learning, you know, that getting back into flexion to get into a bit of neutral. And, of course, you said there, you know, encourage a little more parasympathetic tone because everyone is so sympathetic these days. So, but, yeah, no, 100% agree. It's, it's a tool in the toolbox. For, I, think, I think, too, like, 
people are quick to label something like getting your ribs down as a, a PRI concept. Like, I, yeah, <laughs> I don't, is it really a PRI concept, or or do we, you know, are we just understanding that we're just understanding the idea of good correct move. position? Yeah, good movement there. Uh, yeah, good good alignment. You know, through the structural parts of your body is actually you know a more optimal way to do things. Yeah, yeah, exactly. For the coaches and, and all the listeners listening here, I, I used to always say, like, you know, to any young coach, but, I mean, like, I've got coaches who are, you know, well into middle age and, and older that listen to this. But for anyone listening, what would your advice be to them? And the, your advice doesn't have to be just towards training and coaching. It could be anything to do with life, etc. So what would your advice be to anyone listening to the podcast? Uh, my advice would be to, you know, from in the, the realm of strength and conditioning would be to I guess just to, to keep it to go back to it to, to keep it simple um, to understand who you're working with and, and place a huge importance on you know, designing training materials around how well they're going to be executed hmm. um, so everything that I do when I write a program for an athlete you know, some of the variables that I take into mind have nothing to do with training variables. They have to do with who is this person, you know, what's their level of, like, mental capacity as far as, you know, how detailed am I going to, what kind of exercises am I going to put in, who's going to be coaching them because we have a semi-private environment. Um, and so how can, how can I make this program as easy to execute as possible while also being as productive as possible at the same time? Um, and so... You know, I think that a lot of coaches I, uh, I design a program to be as optimal as possible in the most optimal of scenarios. But really, the most optimal program is is what's going to be uh, what's going to be carried out 100% in your scenario. So if you don't understand what your scenario is including who the person you're working with is and where they're doing the program and how it's being coached, then it's not going to be optimal. Yeah, so. yeah definitely. Final few questions, Greg. If, if I was to ask you for your top resources, and your resources, anything, book, DVD, website, seminars, an actual individual, like what would your top resources be? And again, it doesn't have to be just limited to training. It could be you know, a self-development resource or anything along those lines. Yeah, I mean, one book I feel like I recommend to everyone these days um, is the book Switch. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that that's a great book for self-development and understanding. Uh, you know, if you're a if you're a health professional or a strength and conditioning coach, you're helping people make changes in their lives, and that book is just amazing at, at helping you understand how you make changes more efficiently. Um, I think. You know, another resource, another thing I would encourage people to do is to spend more time reading about learning. So reading about, you know, how, how we develop motor skills, how, how we get people's attention, and how we motivate people. Um, again, it comes down to what we just talked about. You know, I, want, I want my athletes to, to learn better. I want them to learn more efficiently because the faster we can get through the basics, then we could actually possibly get to some of the more advanced things. Um, but we spend so much time trying to master the basics because we're not doing a good job of, of coaching them and motivating our 
attention. Um, from a training standpoint, resources, that's a, that's a wide variety, but, um, you know, I'll, I'll be quick to, to obviously to, to, to plug the resources that, that we're putting out from uh, Crafty Sports Performance on, on Eric's blog and my blog and all of our other, all, all of our other coaches, um, as well as, you know, I'm a, a, I've been a long-time contributor since it started to, to Juggernaut Training Systems, and I think that Chad's done an amazing job of collecting some of the best minds um, out there and, and putting some great articles up and uh, with Greg Knuckles now being the content editor I mean that guy is smart beyond belief um, so I just think that, that you know, that's a good place to turn I, I just remember when I started reading stuff the way I found people that I liked was you know at the time it was uh, T Nation um, you know that we're talking like six years ago though um and reading the guys, people's articles on there that resonate with you, and then tracking back to the work that they're putting out. Um, so I think these days I would, you know, read stuff on on Juggernaut and find some of the guys that resonate with you and track back to their stuff. Um, from uh, from a movement standpoint, you know, learning how to, you know, that kind of stuff. I think that uh, I've I found a lot of value in in what the people are doing with the, the functional movement, like the FMS and the SFMA type people. Uh, I think that's a pretty good system over there for for looking at movement objectively, uh, as long as you just don't get too carried away with it and understand your mm. uh, where your borders are as a strength and conditioning professional or a personal trainer. I hope that answers the question. I guess you, know, you draw from so many different places, so it's tough to. Oh yeah, no. Listen, find one resource. No, you, you name so I like to. I like to, you know. You said to learn about learning. I just made a note of that. I think that's a, an excellent point as well. Um, yeah, I, that that's where I mean, that's where I'm focusing a lot of my time personally right now is mm. because, um, you know, I heard uh, Nick Winkleman speak. I don't know. If if you're familiar with him at all, oh, I'm I'm uh, I'm very good friends with Nick. I, I was actually okay. literally just about to say Gabriella Wolf's work, you know, the external cueing, yeah. the internal external cueing. Yeah, Nick Nick's doing a whole sort of PhD in in that whole area of motor learning. So, yeah, he's you know I saw him speak and I was blown away because I walked out and I said, you know, what I just heard him speak on just took everything that I already know and made it 300 times more effective. Mm. So I, I could spend a week reading a book that teaches me something new and makes me, you know, 3% more effective because I learned this new thing that I can apply to maybe two or three people. Or I could learn how to take everything that I've already known and experienced and make it more effective for everybody. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And if you did that, then, you know, that's obviously time way more well spent. And where, where, where was that you saw Nick speak? Uh, some that ran phone training systems in Connecticut. Yeah, yeah. He's he's a smart guy, isn't he? Yes, very smart. Um, you know, and I had reached out to him and just asked him if he could just, you know, can you just recommend me, you know, every book that I should read and research. And you know, he was nice enough to send along all the the links to to all the books. So I just picked up this big pile of books and I've been working my way through that and and, and that's consumed most of my time and. And it's been awesome because, like I said, I'm a, I'm a big believer in that 
there's really no need to reinvent the wheel. So if I can learn about something that takes, that helps people learn the basic stuff faster, then that's way that's time much better spent. Yeah, I might get those resources off you because I would ask Nick, but he's so busy sometimes he takes a while to get back to you. But uh, I want to get those links off you myself because similar similar to you myself, like I, I'm in a place now where I'm kind of like. I'm going back to basics and not like just learning like things like if I want to really understand biology and chemistry and, and physics better and then obviously understand basic training principles like learning the big foundational things because you said like if you know that you can't really reinvent the wheel and if you also know those principles you can like weigh anything up against those principles now obviously like listen principles can still be added to or changed the more we learn about science but uh I was listening to a friend of mine present over the weekend and he was kind of saying you know if, if you learn like just the big foundational rocks again learning the basics of science and all that type of stuff he's like then anytime someone poses a, a sort of uh you know uh, like says like oh this is possible like you have that background and say that's absolutely horseshit that's scientifically not possible based, based off we know and that's the problem because we're always just getting these little sound bites like oh this supplement will do this at, you know at a cellular level and it's kind of like there's no science behind that whatsoever and it's physiologically impossible and you know that if you actually read a textbook in physiology so I think if people just went back to actually just getting like the big foundations, you know, understanding biology, understanding physiology when it comes to training anyway, and then if you wanted to strip that back even more, looking at things like chemistry and physics, because they actually they're actually what drive biology when you look at like things like quantum physics. But yeah, I, I get what you're saying. Like instead of like reading like twenty random books and different things, you're like focused on this one area and really understand it, and it's gonna like be like a foundation to everything rather than as you said picking up like this one bit of information that will only serve like two or three clients this this whole area that you're in is going to serve everything so it's very funny i'm kind of i'm in a similar position too maybe not quite at motor learning yet but i i get what you mean though exactly what you're saying yeah yeah so it's a i think it's a, a paradigm shift that i i hope will kind of take our industry by storm and i think it already is a little bit but yeah just the, the idea of, of Learning about learning, obviously, um, and also just learning about, you know, mentally what motivates people and, and what's going to make people more, uh, what's going to help people buy into your system better. Because if you have someone that's, you know, completely bought into your system and you can communicate to them clearly uh, what you want them to do, then then it's really, you know, you're going to get, you're going to get most of the way up that mountain. Yeah, big time. Greg, that's all my questions for you today. Just for the, the listeners who want to find out more about you and, and connect with you, you know, just fill us in. And if you have any projects coming up, you know, also fill us in with that information. Yeah, um, I, have, I have a website at the it's thestrengthhouse.com, um, a blog up there with some articles. Uh, and, you know, that's probably the, the best way to kind of funnel out back into there's links to obviously uh like facebook and instagram and all that stuff i try to put on some information up on there i'm not a, a huge social media uh person but i do the best that i can uh um from there i would say uh project wise we got a big seminar coming up you know this this coming weekend um called optimizing the big three um it's the second time i'm doing that seminar and we're fortunate enough to have filled all the seats for that again. So uh, we could be on the lookout. I'm sure we'll do that one again. Hopefully, bring it to uh, to Florida to our newest location for Cressy Sports Performance sometime soon. Um, but yeah, so I think you know 
hosting that seminar again will be another another big project. Um, but yeah, this, the strengthhouse.com is probably all the all the links to anything I do is usually on there in some capacity. And I'll, I'll put all that into the the show notes, so like people can just go to the show notes and, and the the link for your for strengthhouse.com or for the strengthhouse.com will be there, so people can find that. And you, and you've got as you said multiple articles on juggernaut systems too, but you can get you can get through those by going to strengthhouse.com. So. Greg, that was absolutely brilliant. Maybe just stay online there for a minute while I wrap up the show, and uh, we'll just, we, you know, we'll have a little chat off air. Um, yeah so guys listen absolutely fantastic podcast once again it was great to get uh, Mr. Greg Robbins on and fantastic coach at Cressy Sports Performance someone I've been wanting to get on for a while you know someone of similar age as me and experiences so it was great to catch up with him and have a chat and so thanks for listening guys keep downloading keep leaving reviews on iTunes that helps with the uh, with us getting bumped up on iTunes so that more people can benefit from the podcast so guys take care I'll talk to you soon and stay strong (laughs) Thank you.